message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Now, here's Pastor Ron Bietti. Every week I want to take a few minutes to answer a biblical question before we get into our Bible study, and I'll be out in just a few minutes to do the Bible study. Over the past few years I've been asked a lot about tithing. And so let me, before I come out and do the Bible study, tell you this about tithing. I think there are three reasons why people don't tithe. The first reason is they don't understand our relationship with God. When I gave God my life, I literally gave Him my life. Everything I have, I gave to Him. God owns my bank account. He owns my finances. He owns my house. He owns my family. My family's His. Everything is. And I love the Lord God with all my heart, soul, and mind. And when you love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you're automatically going to be concerned about His kingdom. You're automatically going to care about the church. You're automatically going to care about His stuff before you even care about your stuff. That's just automatic when you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So we have to understand that we're His, and His kingdom is all important to us. Second reason people don't tithe, I think, is that they don't trust the organization they're giving to, whether it be a church or another organization. They go, I think you're going to spend my money wrong. What you have to understand is you do your part when you give. It's God's part to really discipline them if they're misusing funds. I know as far as VBF is concerned, we are so frugal. I've been around a lot of big churches in my life. And we're one of the most frugal churches I know of. But someone said the other day, you have a big church ranch. Yeah, we owned a church ranch for almost two decades. We owned it. God made a way for us to get that almost two decades ago. All we did the other day was simply sell that ranch to buy another ranch that was more conducive to ministry. And we took that money and put it over there. That's all we did. See, we bring pastors from all of the United States out and we train them. We bring leaders in our own congregation up. We train them and we need them to be somewhere where they're away from everything and their cell phone doesn't work and where their hair really is, you know, let down and they're relaxed and we can really get into their lives. A lot of ministry takes place at that ranch. We're very careful with the finances that we, that we get, very careful. The third reason people don't want to give, I think, and the biggest reason is they don't understand the Word. See, in the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, it says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and tithe represents 10%. Bring in the storehouse, and God says, if you do, He said, test me. The only place in the Bible He says, test me, and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you until you can't stand it. You say, but that's Old Testament, Ron. We get all, you know, uh, pushed out of shape over Old Testament and New. I think the principles remain pretty much true, but it's Old Testament. But jump over to Luke 6:38 in the New Testament, and there in the Gospel it says, Give, and it will be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. God says, I will make sure that you get back in some form of goods more than what you give. If you go to lunch with me, let's say tomorrow, we're going to fight over the bill. I'm going to want to pay. Why? Because I feel like all of you that go to our church are like my own children or grandchildren or like my own brothers and sisters. I just feel like I'm the, I'm, I'm the, big, the big father figure. And I, I must pay. It's just, it's in my heart. I feel like I, I need to. I want to bless you because I love you. And I'm made in God's image. That's the way God feels about me. God said in the hundredfold blessing, He said, anything you give up on this earth for my kingdom's sake, anything, whether it be money, time, houses, relationships, He said, I'll make sure that you're giving back something that is worth a hundred times what you gave up. That's his word. He said, I'll make sure you get that blessing both in this life and the next life. That's the word of God, both. Now, I'm not saying if you give money, you'll give back money all the time. You might give back something else like a great ministry or, or a great business or, 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 or a lot of God stories, but you will be blessed. I guarantee you, you can't change the word of God. Well, you know what? Somebody came to me a while back and 
they were talking about how they were tithing and they didn't see the blessing yet. And I told them that when a farmer plants a seed, he doesn't expect to harvest overnight. He knows it's gonna take time. He knows that. And I've seen God bless people over and over again. He never doesn't make good his promises, but God doesn't work fast. I know a young man that came to us about 20 years ago and he has sold some property and he, young man in his young 20s, I said, I want to give this $35,000 to the church. I said, are you sure you want to do that? I want to give this $35,000 to the church. I said, okay, God will bless you for it. I saw him give the money and then I watched for the next years and I didn't see him blessed. And I thought, God, I'm beginning to doubt myself now and the way I see the word, is that right? And then a few weeks ago, I stopped and thought about this young man who gave this money. And I watched. As I looked back, I, I watched what, what had happened in his life, and I saw that a few years went by after that, and someone gave him a pretty large sum of money to buy his first house. He bought his first house, sold it, made a huge profit on it, and then it continues. He's selling a house now, make good profit on it. He's buying a house, making great profit on it. And I stopped and thought about this young man's life, and I thought, just in money. And I'm not saying God always blesses this way. But he gave 35000 and now I've watched over the last 15, 18, 20 years, he's been blessed about $400,000. That's crazy. Again, I'm not the prosperity teacher going, God's going to bless money with money. He might bless you in other ways, but I'm telling you, give to God, test him and see if he won't recompense you. He won't in some way. If it's no more than just loving you like you've never been loved in your life, it can be so many different ways. But I want to answer that question. I want to give. In the Old Testament, our father Abraham was coming from war. He saw a high priest by the name of Melchizedek, and he was overwhelmed with a desire to give 10% of what he had to this high priest Melchizedek. Well, that was father Abraham. We're the children of Abraham. The Bible says, if we're children of Abraham, do what Abraham did. And Melchizedek, Jesus, took on the high priesthood forever according to Melchizedek. So it's a picture of us and Jesus. And if we have the blood of Abraham in us, we should automatically say, I want to give 10% of what I have to the kingdom. It's just inside of me. I want to do it. And if we really knew the blessings of God that we can't outgive him, we'd probably want to give a lot more. We'd want to give of our time, our energy, everything we give to God, he will bless us abundantly for whatever we give. So don't be afraid to give to God. Test him today and see if God isn't good all the time. Good morning. They say that weak applause is better than none. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just pulling your leg. How are you all doing this morning? What's up with this weather down here? I woke up on the mountain and it was beautiful and sunny and the birds were all chirping. And then I came into this soup. Oh, yeah, well, you know, I had some jokes to tell today, but man, I got so much on the agenda. I don't have time to make you laugh. My haircut will make you laugh, maybe. I just love these big ears to show more and more. I just love it, you know. I went in to get my hair cut in L.A. down south, and I said, hey, could you just kind of clean it up and don't scalp me? <laughs> yep. But I kind of like it. It's growing on me. Don't have to do a lot with it. I want to say something about the plus one if you're new to our church. Next week, bring a dollar. Now, think about it right now. Bring a dollar. You know what we're going to do with it? The Bible says that the world doesn't care what we know until they know that we care. We're going to take that money. I did this for two Christmas Eves. I went out. I felt God call me. We're going to go to Walmart and Target, and we're going to pay for people's Christmas gifts. We're going to help them out. That's what we're going to do. I had people actually crying in Walmart and Target. I said, hey, I don't have a lot, but will $100 help you with these gifts? Whoa! That's what we're going to do. We're going to go down to the gas station and stand there and say, can we help you with some gas today? We're going to show this community we care about them. A lot of them are struggling financially because they don't know Christ. I just said on the video, if you know Christ, you won't be struggling financially. You shouldn't be. We know something they don't. We want to share the blessing. We have been blessed to be a blessing. Is that not correct? Bring a dollar next week. I can read your mind. Somebody say, well, I'm praying about play, paying for my Christmas. We'll help you. We give toys out. We do everything we can do to help our people. Is that not right? 
Let's pray and talk. We got a ways to go. Father, God bless and anoint this in Jesus' name. And everybody can say amen. Now, let's go back real quick. It's been two or three weeks. That's why I hate non-consistency. I like to stay with the Bible study every week, but Nikki spoke, and then we came back, and it was Thanksgiving weekend. I didn't want to continue. Let's go back. Now, this letter we're studying was written by Peter to people under duress. They were in trials. Uh, today, that's true of a lot of our audience that listening. Some of you are involved in some pretty big trials. You have some pretty good problems in your life. Maybe your trials have to do with relationships. Maybe they have to do with finances. Maybe they have to do with bad health, et cetera, et cetera. And you've come here today, and you're desperate. You turned on the, the broadcast on social media. You're at, at the Cal, uh, not Cal State, we don't have anymore, but you're at the Northwest campus, Tatchby campus, and you're going through trials, and you came to church to hear God. You said, man, I just want to hear God. I just want to be encouraged. And so I hope you are, and I believe you will be. Um, or maybe some of you are just bored with life. Life can become mundane. Peter, who wrote this book, before he met Jesus, life was pretty mundane. What are you saying, Ron? Once you meet Christ, life should never be mundane, not if you're living it right. But Peter, before he met Christ, what did he do? He got in the morning, went fishing, came home in the afternoon, ate lunch, maybe took a nap, evening time, went back, went fishing, came home, spent some time with the family. Next day, same routine, same routine. Some of you say, well, that sounds like a great life, fishing every day. Not when it's to make your living, not when it's your livelihood. Uh, David, you know, before he really connected with God in a powerful way, he just went out and watched the sheep, same day, same, same stuff over and over again. Solomon, he was rich, and he said, my life is just all vanity. It's just same old, same old. But once you meet Christ, all of that changes. Without Christ, without Christ, life can become hopeless and mundane. Notice I said, without Christ. Hopefully, if you're here today and you're going through a trial or you're listening on the internet going through a trial, or whether you're here just bored with life, you're going to hear something today that's going to speak into that, that area, okay? Well, Ron, I'm here and I'm, I, I'm not under any kind of trial or duress and I'm not bored with my life. Actually, everything's pretty well, going pretty good. What's the message for me? I don't want to be a bearer of bad news. But if you're not involved in a trial right now, hang around. One's coming. One's coming. Now, the good part is we learned last week or two that we were in the study, we learned that trials come for our benefit. Trials are part of God's curriculum for us. Trials in our lives are nothing like trials in non-believers' lives. Ours all have purpose and meaning part of the curriculum. In fact, so much so that we're told to rejoice. Now here's the idea I'm going to hit at today. You see the title of the message, Understanding the Spiritual Calling. I, I'm really trying to get something across, and I believe this with all of my heart. Once you really connect with Jesus and live with Him every day, your life is never going to be boring or mundane. It's not going to be. If your life is boring and mundane, then you have not connected. It's so important that we understand the spiritual calling. Now, let's pick up in 1 Peter where we left off at. We left off with verse 13, and here's what it says. Therefore, now when the therefore is in a sentence, you've got to look back to what it's there for. Look back what's behind it. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. I could stop right there if I wanted to. Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to draw your attention to two things in that verse right there. Number one, there's going to be constant stuff going on in your life. God's constantly speaking. He's constantly acting. He's constantly saving you. That's the first thing. Uh, 
in the text, if you really wanted to modernize this verse, it says, now that the things I said before in 1 Peter are true, you need to roll up your sleeves and get ready for action. That's what it says. The second thing I'll draw your attention to in a moment in this verse is that he says, keep your mind on heaven. Keep your mind on heaven. Now, let's look at the first point. As Christians, we must train ourselves to always be looking for God. I mean, looking for Him. I said before, you only see what you're looking for. Looking for God every day. I hope you came to church today looking for God. You came to church going, I just know, Pastor, something's going to be said through Him that's going to minister to me. God's going to use him to say something to me. So we have to constantly train ourselves to see him, to hear him, to be looking for, for him. Now, see, the Bible says that once you're saved, one of your, your first homework assignments is to transform the way you think to transform the way you look at life. Now, many Christians have never went through that transforming process. They've got saved. They're still seeing life the exact same way they saw it before they got saved, with the exception they're going to heaven. We've never went through the process of transforming our life. For example, I said, God's wanting to use me up here today. Want to experiment right now? Let's experiment right now. Here's four things that's been on my heart this week. And I'm going to tell them to you. Number one, this is for someone out here. Some of you have stopped being polite, especially in marriage and with a relationship. You have stopped being a nice person. Some of your marriages could change dramatically if you just start being nice, saying thank you, saying please, I appreciate the dinner. Man, that was really good. What you did today, I, I appreciate it. Some of you have forgotten. Again, I, I'd done this two or three times, but I did it again the other day. Debbie and I were traveling, and I said something or did something. She said, you know what? If you were my boyfriend, I'd dump you right now. <laughs> and I said, you know what? If you were my girlfriend, I wouldn't have done that. She says, aha, she started laughing, aha, the real truth is out. See, sometimes we just stop trying. That's a word for someone. Secondly, God's trying to convict someone here of their diet. Hello. He's been trying to tell you, if you keep eating what you're eating, you're going to shorten your life. He's been trying to tell you. I don't know who I'm talking to. I'm just putting words on what he's been trying to say to you. Start eating healthy. They're, they're telling us today, you can turn cancer around with a diet. Cancer can't live with certain diets. Diets and exercise can change your life. Now, God's been saying that to some of you, and I'm just putting words on it. Number three, God spoke to me this week, and I'm going to share it with you. Stop trying to hang on to stuff that He wants to die. That can be with relationships, behavior, habits. And the fourth thing He spoke to me this week is we need to live by faith and not by what we see, feel, and hear. Scary thought, huh? Understanding the spiritual calling. Now, when I say to live by faith and not by what you see, feel, I'm not telling you to throw all logic and common sense out. That would be dumb. But just make sure that what you're feeling and what you're hearing and what you're thinking and what you're fearful of lines up with what God's saying to you, because what He's saying to you is more real than what you're feeling and what you're hearing and what you're seeing. And that's a countercultural way to live. So Peter says, roll up your sleeves. Be ready for action in your life. Now, the Christian life is not static, but it's very action-filled, very alive, very busy. Now, this is the reason I've went back to the Word. As we start going through verse by verse, we are going to be challenged to rethink life through. Because many of us are going to see that our life, there, there's a big disconnect between what we say we believe and what we really act out in our life. There's a big disconnect, and we're going to see that. 
The other day I was reading some really crazy verses on faith. I read one, and I looked up another one, another one, another one. Act like you've never heard this before, okay? Like you're hearing it with fresh ears. Look at Hebrews 11 and 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Huh. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. In other words, God says, without faith, you can't please me. When you go to prayer, you better believe you're going to get what you're asking for. You better believe I'm going to answer you. And if you don't get what you're asking for, it's because it wasn't according to my will. Again, I stand here well. I told you my wife is very sick. I guess she didn't have the faith that I had. No, I don't. She's not here. Please, God. Oh, she's listening to this. <laughs> she, she does have strong faith, stronger than mine. I'm sorry, babe. I know you're listening right now. I was really sick last week, too, but I, I held God's Word up, and, and, and I'm not saying we don't get sick. Do you understand what I said? Uh, sometimes I, I think maybe you didn't hear me. I'm not saying every time a flu or cold comes, you're going to be exempt of that if you pray through it. I'm just saying last week that I had a special thing I had to do on Thanksgiving, something special. And because it was special, I felt I could pray through this. But I might get the flu or cold tomorrow, and there's nothing special going on. I've got to go through it like everybody else. Does that make sense? It was just something special going on at Thanksgiving, something that meant a lot to me. Now, I plumb lost myself there, don't even know where I was at. Uh, I got to go back here. For, oh, faith, yeah, the verse. He says here, put up 11.6 again, please. Without faith, you can't please Him. When you go to God in prayer, you better believe that He is, that He is actually alive, that He actually exists, and that you're going to get rewarded in accordance to your prayers. Now, you won't always get what you're asking for, because it's not always according to God's will. 2 Corinthians 5 and 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Let me rephrase that. We walk by faith. We don't base our life around what the lawyer says, what the doctor says, what the politician says. We walk by faith in what God says. So I was into it now, and I got, I'm intrigued. So I, I looked up another verse, Hebrews 10, 38. But my righteous one shall live by what's in his heart, according to the Word. My righteous one, the one who belongs to me, will live by what God is saying, not by what the world's saying. Right now, the world's basically conveying a message to us that we're going to hell in a handbasket, but God says, no, He's coming back. We're not. Now, He says, if you don't live by faith and you shrink back from living by faith, my soul has no pleasure in you. Romans 14, 23, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, but he who is eating not faith, and whatever is not of faith, okay, whatever is not from faith is sin. Hebrews 11 and 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So we're told to center our life around what God says, even though we don't see it coming to pass. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it for me. That was a song we sing. God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it for me. This is crazy. Crazy way to live. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Here's the whole idea. You can live by faith, but to live by faith, you've got to stay connected to God. Hear what He's saying. Hear what His Word is saying. You've got to have that relationship. And faith will be a result of hearing God speak to your heart. If God says this marriage is going to work out, then you're going to base your life around it. If He says it and confirms it. If God says you're going to be well and you're not going to die, you've got to base your life around that. And God says, I have pleasure in that when you live by faith. Again, I know it's radical. Let's move on. Now. I spoke of the faith of Abraham in the video I just did, the father of the faithful. I was reading a story in Genesis this week. God appeared to Abraham and said, you and Sarah's going to have a promise child. You're going to have a baby. Now, 
This blew Abraham away. He heard God say it, much like I hear God say things. He was so astounded, he didn't know how to tell Sarah. I can't tell her. This is so crazy, she won't believe it. Sometimes I will tell Debbie, I'll say, Debbie, sit down. What? God spoke to me, and you're going to have a hard time probably believing this, but he spoke to me. That happens all the time in our house through the years. And so Abraham's like, I can't even tell her. I got to keep it to myself. This is so crazy. So God tells him, I'm going to give you this blessing. Then he leaves. He's gone for a long time. A little secret of the kingdom. Remember, God doesn't always give you what he promised to give you right away. He tests your faith in the interim period. This is a way of the kingdom. Hello? See, that's the way of God. David, you're going to be king, and then there's a lot of time in between. Joseph, you're going to be a ruler, a lot of time in between. Me and cancer, God said, I'm going to take it away. There's a lot of time in between. Is God speaking to someone? The teacher is silent during the exam. Listen. Now, most of you don't know this. The point I want you to see is God's promises are very often so crazy and radical that you're embarrassed to tell anybody. You go, I know I've heard it, and I know this is of God, and I want to tell everybody. And you tell the wrong people, and they'll go, yeah, whatever. See, Abraham couldn't even tell Sarah about it. She had to overhear it by eavesdropping when Abraham was talking with three angels. See, she was 90 and he was 100. We're going to have a baby? And she laughed, and we, we say, you laughed, how dare you? I would laugh too. This promise was so crazy. Sometimes God will speak promises to you that will defy understanding. You'll go, whoa. Look at Romans, Romans 4, 17, 18. As it is written, Father of many nations, I have made you in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which is. Now, wait, 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 wait. What is our God like? Our God. He gives life to the dead. He calls into being that which does not exist. He'll call healing into being when it does not exist before that. Whatever he calls into being, it will exist. And then it goes on. In, in, in reference to Abraham, it says, In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Now, I love this because someone has said, if you paraphrase that verse, it says, Abraham let his heart hope for what his mind told him was absolutely crazy. I like that. Gang, don't be comfortable with a powerless gospel. Paul wasn't. Paul wasn't. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 1, 5, but realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. Hello. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revelers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. Does that not describe our generation? Unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal. Oh, are they brutal? Haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But here's the part I want you to see. They're beholding to a form of godliness. Although they have denied its power, avoid people like this. What? Avoid the people who have a form of godliness, but they have no power. Avoid them. So, Paul wasn't comfortable with a powerless gospel. Jesus wasn't comfortable with a powerless gospel. Peter wasn't. I'm not. Now, back to our text in Peter. I demonstrated for you this morning that God is always speaking, He's always convicting, He's always acting. I just put into simple words some things that He's been trying to tell you lately. Now, you may have not recognized them at the time as being from the Spirit of God, but now you do. Peter says, be on your A-game in our verse this morning. He says, be sober in spirit. That doesn't mean be a sourpuss. Be sober in the Spirit just means stay attentive. Now, I said before, and I'll say it again, there's a difference between living for God 
living for Christ and living with Christ. You're to do both. A lot of people live for Christ. They go to church because that's what Christ would want me to do. I'm living for Christ. They read their Bible. They do their daily homework. They go, that's what, what God would want me to do. I'm living for Christ. Look, I'm reading my Bible. I'm living for Christ. I'm praying. That's what he wants me to do. I'm li- but there's a different thing about living with Christ. You've got to do both. I went to get a haircut, and as usual, I prayed and said, God, is there any way you want me to minister to this young lady or man that's going to cut my hair? I don't know. I went in, sit down. I said, I'm a pastor. Start opening the conversation. She didn't go for it, and immediately I heard the Holy Spirit say, don't share anymore. You say, what? I heard him say, don't share anymore. Change the subject. Why would God say that? Because I'm probably going to go back more times and I don't want to run her off beforehand. The Spirit will open the door when He wants to open the door. I'm like a fisherman. I throw it out. If they don't bite, I move on. But I'm living with Christ. J2 just told me a story just in the back. See, this is living with Christ. I've taught these guys to live with Christ. He said, I went to the Christmas parade, sat down next to a guy, and in general conversation, he said, man, I just lost $20 in Walmart. And he went on and on. Just said, man, I hope and pray you find it. He did like most of us do, started convicting. He walked away, got quite a ways away and said, oh, I got to give the guy $20. I've been blessed to be a blessing. He went back and gave the guy $20. The guy said, what church do you go to? He said, I'll be there Sunday. That's living with Christ. Uh, I, I got three illustrations here of what I did last week living with Christ, but I, I don't have time. The clock says that I got to keep moving. Uh, but I'll give you one of them. I mean, I'm always living with Christ. I've told you before, and I, you know, it, it's a struggle with me. I travel up and down the freeway quite a bit, and these truck drivers are crazy. When they're coming over, they're coming over. And I try to be courteous to them, because I understand that's a tough job. When they put their blinker on, I try to slow back, let them out. But the other day, again, you know, one pulled right out in front of me, and I went, oh, way over. And I heard God. Remember the teaching I did three weeks ago? The trials are tests. God's got a pencil paper out. And God goes, okay, what are you going to do? You're going to honk? You're going to get mad? You're going to get angry? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? It's a test. It's a test. It's a test. And I passed it. I said, yeah, I'll just kick back here and understand that he might have to go to the bathroom real badly. No telling. <laughs> now, see, I give you example after example. One week how God is moving. There's action in my life. But let's uh, go back to verse 13 of Peter. The therefore goes back to the verses before it. Verse 2, we've already went over, Peter says, you're in the process of being sanctified. And that's an everyday process. In other words, the Lord's using situations daily to say, practice being more like Christ. This situation is allowed in your life so you can practice being more like Christ. Go back to the truck driving thing. What if you were traveling up the freeway and Jesus appeared in your car and he said, can I drive your car? Sure. Can you imagine Jesus driving your car and you're going along, you're talking, and the truck falls out in front of him? Now, how many of you think Jesus is going to flip him off? You think Jesus is going to start griping, going, I cannot believe that. What's wrong? No, no. No, you don't see Jesus that way, do you? What would he do? He'd just keep smiling. He'd be patient. Heck, he might even pray for him. You never know. Wow. You say, Ron, this is, this is really hitting home. I hope so. So the fact of verse 2 is because of the things before, you're to, you're, to, you're to look for action. Because you're in the process of sanctification, God wants to change your character to be like Christ. Daily, weekly, he's going to say, oh, it's a test. Are you going to act like Christ? Are you going to act like Christ? This is some of the action going on. He's given you opportunities to respond like Christ. And then in verse 5, and I've said before, verse 5 has two meanings. The first is a spiritual meaning, but I think there's a secondary meaning says we're being protected by the power of God through using faith. And I've already done that this morning, just telling you, watch what you're eating. If you listen and put faith to that, you're going to protect your life for the coming of Jesus. 
And this verse 6 and 7 said, trials will come along to give you the opportunity to practice with your faith. Now, all of these depict an active relationship with God. Peter wants us to be in the process every day of being sober, having our sleeves rolled up, saying, God's going to be speaking to me. He's going to be changing my character today. He's going to be testing my faith today. He's going to be talking to me today. And then in the same verse, he says a second thing. He says, fix your hope on heaven. I don't think we think enough about the afterlife. Right now, as we're sitting here, people are arriving in heaven. And they're being blown away. Blown away. They're seeing their loved ones that they haven't seen for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. They are greeting one another. Right now, as we sit here, that's going on in heaven. They're pinching themselves going, this, can this really be? It's happening right now. Heaven is a big deal. A few weeks ago during the Olympics, I gave you that illustration, and I revolved it around Luke 15 and 10 in the NIV. Look at Luke 15, 10, NIV. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I told you that can't be over every sinner that repents. The angels are rejoicing. It doesn't even say the angels are rejoicing. It says there are people in heaven rejoicing in the presence of angels over sinners that are repenting. And I told you then, it's my opinion, that it's people in heaven who have family members on this earth. And every time their family members or loved ones repent, they go crazy. So there's a little craziness going on over here. Yay! What's that? Somebody must got saved. Over here. Yay! Over here. Yay! You know, you, that's constantly going on in heaven. It's like today, people that, that love you are up there going, hey, they're in church. Oh, they're in church. Pastor Ron's preaching a great message. Oh, man, I hope they hear it. And when non-believers come in, they go, I think, I, think, I think they raise their hand. I think they raise their hand. Woo! You know, I, I went through that. There's a lot of action going on in the kingdom of, of God right now. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Don't be conformed to the former lusts in your ignorance. This is a problem in the church today. People are backsliding. Some of them were saved out of drugs and alcoholism. They were saved out of pornography. They were saved out of the party life. They were saved out of a, a life of materialism. They were saved out of a life of, of not living with God, and they're going back to that old life again. Now, verses 4, 3 through 5, I don't think I gave the back room that. Can you put down 1 Peter 4, 3 through 5? I'm sorry, I overlooked that note. 1 Peter 4. Verse 3 through 5, and basically it says there, for the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they're surprised that you do not run with them in the same excessive dissipation, and they malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Now, in other words, we've had time to go there and do that. We've had time to fulfill the pleasures of the flesh, and there has to come a time where you go, I'm through with it. It's not producing what I'm through with it. Now, in our text in Peter, it says something very interesting. It says, as obedient children, don't go back to these lusts. And that little phrase is very important, as obedient children. It's almost like Peter has given us a little secret of the kingdom here. He says, your activity and obedience in the kingdom lifestyle will keep you from backsliding. King David, when did he backslide? When he stopped doing what he's supposed to be doing. When he stopped being in the will of God. When he stopped doing what he's supposed to be doing. Someone said it well. If he was where he was supposed to be, he wouldn't have ended up where he did. Oh, say it again. If he was supposed to be where, if he was supposed, if he was where he was supposed to be, he would not have ended up where he did. I know, unfortunately, by experience, when I stopped doing the will of God, I set myself up for temptation. When I stopped doing 
Does that make sense to anybody here? Uh, when I get off my meds, I can get sick again. My meds are being involved in, in worshiping God, in prayer and devotions, in serving Him. It goes back to that idea of when the Israelites lost the Ark of the Covenant, and their enemies took the Ark of the Covenant, put it in the same temple that their false god was in, Dagon. So you had their god, Dagon, in the same temple as the Ark of the Covenant, and as a result of that, Dagon kept falling. He finally destroyed himself. The idea, spiritual idea being God and Dagon cannot live in the same house. When you're fully serving God and praying for people and staying involved in the kingdom, it's hard for sin to reign. You won't backslide. It's a protection against backsliding. Live out your purpose on earth. Time is short. You say, what's my purpose? Maybe I need to say it again. There's a generic purpose and a detailed purpose. Your generic purpose is basically daily, like a, like a dump truck. Get into God's presence. Get into the Word. Get into prayer before you do anything else in the day. Just spend time with God. Let Him speak to you. Let Him pour His Word into you. And then as you get filled up, you kind of deposit it at work, in the market, everywhere you go. You deposit it with your friends via text. But you deposit it. Now, now, I wrote something down here. If you're not giving it away, nothing new will come to you. If you're not giving away what you have, nothing new will come to you. Now, that's your generic will of God. Everybody has that will. But there's a more specialized, detailed will of the, the Lord that depends on your spiritual gift or your past experience or the combination of both. What may your purpose be? And very often I see the spiritual gift go with experience. I was raised in foster care, and I have this story how I came out of foster care. Duh! What do you think your purpose is on this earth, probably? Work with people in foster care. Go out and give them hope. You know, Pastor Ron, before I was saved, I was a drug addict, and I was an alcoholic. Duh! You want to know your purpose? You're saved now. Help other people. That'll probably be one of your purposes in life. I've been through three divorces, but man, I found the love of my life. We serve God together. Duh! There may be your purpose. Oh, I could go on and on and on. You've been blessed to be a blessing. I'm telling you, you find your purpose on earth, no matter how small or big it is. Find your purpose on earth. That'll have a lot to do when you die. If God needs you on this earth, you won't die. If he doesn't need you, he might just kind of stay back and say, whatever, whatever, I don't know. When you're told you're going to die, you need to have a purpose to leave you on the earth a little longer. Say, God, I'm doing this thing. It's small. It's not big, but I want to keep on doing it. Do you understand the spiritual calling is so different than some of us think it is? I'm just going to read these last. I've got to be out of here. Verse 15, 16. But like the Holy One who calls you, be holy yourself in all your behavior, because it is written, you should be holy, for I am holy. That's basically separating yourself from anything and everything that hinders your walk with God. The bar life doesn't promote my walk with God, so I'll be done with it. There's a reason behind the season. Some of the friendships I have to, I have to get rid of. Uh, I can't watch the same stuff on TV. I have to uh, get rid of things that interfere in my spending time with God. See, we're in the process daily and weekly of getting rid of stuff and putting new stuff in our life. Because when you take old stuff out, you've got to put new stuff in its place. And then I'm just going to read verse 17, 19. We'll come back next week. If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, the blood of the Lamb, the Son of God. We're going to all appear before God, and we're going to give a speech for how we lived our life on earth, how we gave our money, how we spent our time, how we spent our spare time. Of the, we're going to, and I'm going to come back there next week. Oh, you can't wait for this, huh? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to come back here next week. Are you okay? Did you hear something today? Did you hear God say something? Roll up your sleeves. Get ready for action, because He's speaking. He's moving. He's acting. He's changing. Now, I'm going to 
just in a moment, I'm going to sign off the air and I'm going to give it back to the campus pastors. I like to end with worship. But before I do that, let me pray over anyone out there that doesn't know the Lord as their personal Savior. I'm inviting you today to get involved in a lifestyle that will blow you away. Once you give your life to God, immediately He's going to start working in your life. He's going to start changing who you are. See, it's so wonderful when ministry comes out of who you are. It comes out of who you're becoming. He's going to change who you are. He's going to begin to change things around you. He's going to begin to juggle things around according to His will. You're going to enter a life of action. How do you get saved? You just get alone somewhere today, get someone to pray with you and say, Lord God, today I ask you to send your Holy Spirit, come and take up residence in my body and give me the strength I need to start serving you. Grab a Bible, get in a good church, and just start following Christ. That's what it's about. So campus pastors, take it. Internet audience, will be posting the song we're going to sing in, in closing. We'll post it for you so you can play it and sing along. Love you guys. God bless. I want some of you, we're going to sing a song today, God's laid on my heart. It's so powerful. See, what, we say, why are you ending services this way? Because I believe what happens right here, right now, might even be more important than the, than the sermon. When you sing this, listen to it. This is anointed. Right now, anoint this worship in Jesus' name. If you want to come forward, you can towards the altar. That's up to you. If you want to come and crowd in here, you're more than welcome. If you want to stay where you're at, stay where you're at. So if you feel called, come on up right now. If you feel called to come to the altar, come up right now. And the anointing is going to start here, but this song is going to heal some of you. Spiritually and physically, it's going to heal you. Just let the Holy Spirit move after it's over. I'll come out and say goodbye, all right? Do you guys get it? Do you really get it? God wants to move. He wants these truths embedded in our heart. There ain't no grave going to hold his body down or ours. That's the good news. You're going to live even if you die. I thought about playing this song today, and there's one line in there that isn't real scriptural. And I thought, man... The Pharisees out there are going to see that. They're going to say, there's one line there. He didn't hear a trumpet sound. Where's that at? And I just went, spit on the ground. And I go, tough with you. There was more value in the song than one line. Do you feel God in worship like that? Do you feel his presence? He says, my presence inhabits the praises of my children. My purpose in life is that I found God. I learned how to hear Him speak. I've seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And now my purpose in life is to communicate that message to everyone else. Get you to have the same life I have. I've said before, we're not a prosperity church. We don't know what lies around the corner for us. We don't know what telephone call we're going to get this week that's going to change our life. We don't know what's going to happen. But I do know one thing, and you've heard me say it, and I'll say it till I die. I do know that no matter what happens, my God will show up at some point in time in that trial. And he'll see me through it. I know that for a fact. God wants to do something in this church, and we're still praying about exactly what it is, but he wants to bring revival. I mean, why is it, can I ask you a question, that the life of Jesus was so irresistible to the multitudes, yet the church life today is so resistible? There's something that we've got to bring back. The life of Jesus in the church, the very thing that made him irresistible should make the church irresistible because we are his body on this earth. I know some of you might not agree with plus one to go out and show this community how much we care. But they won't care about what we know till they know we care.
I want VBF to be a beacon light, all this community going, that church really cares for people. They really love you. And so let's continue in the progress on the journey God's got. I don't know what he wants to do. I think he wants to do revival here. I think in a year he wants 10 times more people to be in this service than are in here right now. I think he wants to bust the doors down. I was listening to an interview this week, and a guy had a Chinese person, an Asian person who was leading a tour. At the end of the tour, they said, we're going to open it up for questions. He was a pastor. And this lady looked at him and said, are you a pastor? He said, yes. Can I ask you a question? She says, I get on a bus and travel two hours every Sunday to go to church, every Sunday. And I find it not difficult at all. But I hear in America there's churches everywhere. And can I ask you a question that's been bugging me forever? Why doesn't everyone in America go to church? Why? I'm telling you now, if all the people out in Bakersfield knew the lifestyle that I was living, they'd all want it mainly. Most of them would. We, we, we couldn't have 20 services a day if they just knew what we were living. But they don't. We've got to get the good news out. I'm going on and on. We're, the next service is going to be starting. But we're doing something different now. And I'm going to come out every week maybe with some type I'll have words of knowledge I don't know we're going to move in the spirit are you good with that okay let's pray our way out Father God we thank you that we've been in the presence of the Lord today we're like Moses we've been on the mount and now we're glowing and that glowing will dissipate as we go back into the world if we don't stay connected we've got to stay connected stay connected Every day we should connect like we're connecting here. God, I thank you for what you're saying to us. Let your conviction be gentle, but let it be ongoing because you're wanting to change us. You don't want us to stay the way we are. You don't want us to stay in a comfort zone. We're never to get into a comfort zone and stay there. We got a job to do on this earth. I shared your presence has been here. Let us move and go accordingly. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. God bless you. See you here, there, in the air. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is our King.